I'm Sean McCraney. This is Heart of the Matter. Salt Lake City, we thank you for coming. If you are watching streaming video, welcome. If not, and you have friends who want to watch the show live from another part of the country or world, just have them go to www.bornagainmormon.com and they can tune in there uh, under the TV show and watch the show live. We have a tremendously exciting program tonight to kick off the year, which we're going to be talking about church history throughout the year, and we have foremost expert, in my opinion, of church history with us in a few minutes, Sandra Tanner from Utah Lighthouse Ministries here in Salt Lake City. And uh, I hope you stay tuned, call your friends, tell people uh, this will be a show you want to watch to hear some facts that are going to blow you away. So uh, tune into that. Hey, some apologies first and foremost. I have 177 emails I just got sent to me today that I have not read. They've been uh, emailed over the past month and a half to uh, 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 an email address that we didn't know they were going to. I apologize if you haven't gotten responses. It's my fault, mea culpa. Please forgive me, and I'll get back to you in the next few days and try to answer some of the things that you have asked. All right. Um, a shout out to Brian Brumfield and all our other supporters and friends out there. We also want to do a recommendation for a podcast and a website called OneLivingTruth.com. OneLivingTruth.com. I did an interview last week on them. They're dedicated to uh, talking to people about the Lord who are LDS and other faiths. And they, do so, they have some great podcasts that you can tune into and listen to. Uh, and so I suggest that you go to OneLivingTruth.com to learn more. Our church scouts went out last week. They found a fantastic church, Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church in Midvale. Uh, pastors Roger Martin and Brad Clemens, uh, they say the worship was great, the teaching was great, a great ministry for children, a place for people can come to know the Lord, study the word, uh, worship and praise um, our God, and I highly recommend Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church. They'll be put on the website where we have a listing of all the churches we recommend in Utah for people who are looking to uh, learn about the Lord. Website, we have a calendar of events page now on the website. Just go to calendar and uh, it will help you understand the shows that we're doing, when they're going to be aired and what we're doing with them. Past shows can be watched on there. We have a prayer board. If you have somebody who's in need of prayer, go. You can just type their name in, first name, what the, what the issue is. And we have people who pray over that, those lists constantly. So if you are in need of prayer or somebody you know, please go to the prayer board. Uh, we have a Prove Your Theology. We have a blog. Uh, all those things, you can also get the book, www.bornagainmormon.com. Our book is available at Benchmark Books here in Salt Lake City, as well as Christian Gift and Bible. You can uh, get it through Calvary Chapel bookstores, some of them, and you can also get them through the website. If you can't afford it, as always, email us and we'll send it to you for free. Heart in the church, heart in the home. Some of you are interested in having us come out and give kind of a, uh, a message about what our ministry is about and why we approach things the way we do. If you want that to happen, again, go to the website and we'll set up a heart in the church. On the 21st of this month, we're going to be in Orem. Toward the end of the month or the beginning of February, we'll be in Boise. If you want to set something up from March uh, onward, go to the website. Also, The Infallible Word. It's a new show. We taped the first one today. It will begin airing on at 9.30 p.m. Monday nights and at 8.30 p.m. on Friday nights. 
We're going verse by verse, an exegetical look at the scriptures. We're starting with the Gospel of John and moving through the, the Word. If you want to learn the Word, come to that show. It's a half hour long. It's a great Bible study. We'll hope you tune in. A couple other shout-outs. I got a wonderful card from Sophie. Now, oddly enough, she wrote to Santa on the outside, but um, uh, it was a great card, and we thank you. Also got a great poem, uh, a prayer from an old man, and uh, we want to thank you. It's anonymous, and it's a beautiful prayer that someone wrote and sent. Wanted to say that to you. We have... I didn't show our producers this. Uh, can you see that, Michelle? Go in on that. Listen, uh, what this is, is this is Steel Cross White Benefit Concert for Clifton Barrett and Family. All right? And what that is, it's going on. We're giving out tickets away tonight. If you want to go to this, the tickets are $15 a piece. We're giving out uh, two sets of two, so a $30 value. It's going to be at Kearns High School. And what it's going to do is benefit this young man right here who is uh, very sick with cancer, and Steel Cross White down here in the middle, the big picture. He's a phenomenal musician. He's the uh, worship leader at The Rock and a great musician. His CDs are fantastic, and uh, the proceeds are going to go to helping this man with cancer and his family. So uh, if you are interested, let's take the first and tenth caller. We'll get those tickets. If you don't want them, just tell our operators, and we'll pass them on to somebody else. All right, we are going to go uh, and have a word of prayer, the most important thing, and uh, we'll go from there. Dear Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we ask you to be with um, the audience tonight, be with uh, myself and Sandra as we speak to the audience and converse about the things you care about in this uh, state regarding Mormonism and your word in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we have Sandra Tanner from Utah Lighthouse Ministries. She is a great-great-granddaughter of Brigham Young, former LDS 47 years ago. That's how long she's been involved in this ministry. She's a co-founder of Utah Lighthouse Ministries, uh, which officially became a ministry in 1983, but unofficially began back in the 1964, full-time for Sandra and her husband, Gerald. Um, they have two daughters and a son. You can find out some of the best and most accurate information on LDS history at www.utlm.org. UTLM. If you forget that, you can also go to sandratanner.org and you'll find it. You can do a Google search on Sandra Tanner. You could do a Google search on Mormon information and you'll find the Tanner's name or UTLM uh, there. And I suggest you do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome Sandra Tanner to the show. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, I am honored, just, just to tell you, I, as a Searcher for Truth, uh, back in my LDS days, well before I ever left the church, um, I used to read uh, publications of yours, and they planted seeds and helped me think and see truth. And um, I gave Sandra a list of questions that we uh, may cover on the show. <laughs> and, uh, of course, some of these are a little strange because those of you who have watched the show before, we... Um, I ask questions just to break the ice to get you to help you know Sandra on a more personal uh, basis. And so here we go. Question number one. And these are easy. You should have heard what I asked uh, 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 Greg Johnson. All right. Sandra, recent book you've really enjoyed? 
Well, uh, this is on a heavy note. It's uh, From Tears to Triumph, a little book on dealing with grief. Uh, my husband died the 1st of October, so that's been my focus on, on that particular book. Okay. That's good. It's a good book, From Tears to Triumph, those of you who are suffering with grief. Uh, excellent. Chinese takeout or dine-in Mexican? Flip a coin. Both good. <laughs> <laughs> a woman after my own heart, let me tell you. All right, gardening or gardener? Uh, you mean for hire a gardener? Yeah, hire. Yeah. Hire. Another, another thing we have in common. All right, great outdoors or the great or great shopping at the mall? Uh, winter or summer? Boy, this is a true scholar, isn't it? Winter. Winter mall. Mall. Yeah. All, right. All right, excellent. Seen any good films lately? Um, Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, that right. was very good. Okay, Pet Peeve. People talking on their cell phone at Smith. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'll make sure I talk at it at Albertsons. All right. Winter, spring, summer, or fall? Spring. All right. Uh, you've got a three-hour meeting set and an open seat for a guest. Who in present day or LDS history would you like to interview in those three hours? Emma Smith. <laughs> Emma Smith. Very mm. interesting. Uh, what do you think of Christian Crusaders outside the conference center at General Conference? Well, I, I have no problem with people passing out tracts at Temple Square. I have a problem with some people's um, mocking of Mormon things. Uh, I mean, we do research on the temple ceremony, but when people wave the Mormons' sacred underwear around, I, I think that's counterproductive. It's insulting. Okay. Excellent. So, I'm all for passing out tracks. Just do it in the spirit of love. <laughs> okay, excellent. Uh, the term anti-Mormon. I don't like that. It implies that you're opposed to the people. I'm opposed to Mormonism, yeah. but not to the Mormon people. You hear that? So you callers who are getting ready to call and talk to Sander and pose a question, <laughs> you make sure you tone it down because, again, she's against Mormonism, not Mormons. There is a huge difference. Okay, uh, in your experience, is leaving Mormonism a process? Well, it certainly was for me. My husband and I uh, took several years through the process. We left the Mormon church before we gave up the Book of Mormon and continued to believe that for a couple more years. So for us, it was a process. Okay. Uh, do you have a general rule that you've discovered in sharing Jesus with the LDS? It's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, I think attitude is uh, number one and number two is you have to have some understanding of the Mormon redefinition of terms. That if you're going to talk with a Mormon, you better understand how they mean the same word that you use in standard Christianity. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. When we say, when Christians say saved, it means a completely different thing than when the LDS church says saved. And so when you have a dialogue, she's saying you just have to know your terms. There's a, isn't there a good piece of literature available at your website on terms? Yes, we have a terminology sheet where we go through and give the uh, standard Christian understanding of saved and the Mormon understanding, eternal life, heaven, hell, okay. and, uh, because they do differ. Okay. Um, the reason, one of the reasons, besides my respect for their research and scholarship for having Sandra on the show, is um, we're starting the year uh, talking about church history. Next week we're going to go into Joseph Smith's grandparents, Joseph Smith's parents, and talk about their family. And I don't think there's a better, as I said, scholar and historian of LDS history than Sandra and Gerald 
uh, Tanner. And I asked Sandra through email if she would come up with a few eight or ten um, things to share with you to help kick off this facts to kick off our season of church history. And Sandra, uh, the floor is yours. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, one of the things that uh, people need to understand is the specific claims that Mormonism is making for itself. That uh, it says in their own doctrine and covenants that uh, the Mormon church is the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. And so with that kind of a claim, of course people are going to say, well then we want to know what you're about. If, if all the rest of us are wrong and only you are right, what's the basis of your claims? And so that's the gist of uh, our ministry and our work is uh, to answer that challenge that we don't believe that historically Mormonism meets the criteria to be the only true and living church. Okay. Um, and can I interrupt here yeah. for our listening audience? I think it's important, you know, we get a lot of flack. I know you have taken decades of yeah. flack. Uh, and we get some flack for the show of people saying you're picking on Mormonism, but they have picked on on Christians first. Right. right. Okay. In uh, the back of the Mormon's triple combination in Joseph Smith's history, uh, you have Joseph Smith's own story where he goes out and uh, says that he attended revival meetings and he specifically names the Presbyterians, the Baptists, and the Methodists wow. in, in the back of their own scriptures. And he says he went out in the woods to pray to know which church to, what, to join. And then he says that God told him that to join none of them, they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. So according to Mormonism, God didn't just tell them, you're going to start a nicer church or a little better church. Right. Everybody else is wrong. I'm going to have you start the only true church. So with that kind of a claim, of course, people are going to examine the history of Mormonism to see if it meets what it claims for itself. In Joseph Smith's uh, history, he tells about how he went out in the woods <clears throat> supposedly in 1820 to pray to know which church and supposedly God and Jesus showed up but um, in the book Personal Writings of Joseph Smith they have a uh, photograph of um, uh, probably can't see that very well but that that's a handwritten account of Joseph Smith's own uh, first vision where he says it was just Jesus that came and he doesn't tell about the father and son what I see in Joseph Smith's story is an evolving story uh, that went from Jesus, then he talked about angels, finally he said it was uh, God and Jesus, but uh, it isn't a consistent story. One of the other problems in, besides the first vision area of Mormonism is the Book of Mormon itself. Uh, Joseph Smith uh, was working on that book before he even started his church. One of the things Mormons don't understand, usually, uh, they aren't aware of how the Book of Mormon was translated. Uh, most of the time you see a picture of Joseph Smith sitting at a table and it has the plates there and he's studying them as though he's doing a regular translation. But that isn't what the witnesses said. And this is David Whitmer's statement telling what he observed of Joseph translating. Joseph Smith would put the seer stone into a hat and put his face into the hat drawing it closely around his face to exclude the light. And in the darkness, the spiritual light would shine. A piece of something resembling parchment would appear on that. One character at a time would appear, and under it was interpretation in English. 
Brother Joseph would read off the English to Oliver Cowdery, who was his principal scribe, and when it was written down and repeated to Brother Joseph to see if it was correct, then it would disappear, and another character with the interpretation would appear. Thus the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. And so we have this uh, stone that, that Joseph Smith found in a well of a local farmer that he's using as a magic object. It's just like crystal ball gazing. In fact, Joseph Smith had been involved in magic practices before he started Mormonism. And he takes that same stone that he used for money digging to use to translate the Book of Mormon record. Okay, did you guys hear that? We're going into church history. We have Sandra Tanner, 47 years reading from church documents telling the audience that Joseph Smith found a stone and he used that stone to find treasure with it and made a living doing that falsely, and he used that same stone to translate the book they call true, the Book of Mormon. All right. One of the uh, claims for the Book of Mormon is that it's an actual historical text and that, like the Bible, it was about real people in real places at real time. This is a sample of, uh, <laughs> uh, if you see that, that's a sample of the writing that was on the plates, according to Joseph Smith. <clears throat> that sample has been uh, uh, given to scholars to look at, and they don't see any language there. They see just a hodgepodge of characters. You can find more English than anything on there. And yet that's supposed to be the writing style of the Book of Mormon peoples. Well, the problem is that when the scholars look into the Americas, they find writing here, but it's the Mayan writing. It's nothing that looks like these characters. And yet the Book of Mormon speaks of this huge civilization with thousands and thousands of people, huge cities, large wars, built great buildings, and yet no sample of this writing's ever come about. With the Bible, anyone can go to school and learn Hebrew and Greek, but no one can go to a school to learn Book of Mormon characters. And so this is an indication that the book is an invention of Joseph Smith's. There's no historical foundation for this story. Another thing I find troubling is that this is uh, out of a Mormon manual, and this is their uh, uh, suggestion of Book of Mormon lands. But it isn't oriented to any specific place. And even at the bottom of the page, it tells you not to try to locate this in any particular place. I mean, it sort of looks like, uh, you know, this could be uh, Central America and this could be South America or something. But it tells you at the bottom of this page, no effort should be made to identify points on this map with any existing geographical locations. My question would be, why? Yeah. Uh, there are maps in the Bible. It doesn't destroy faith to know where Jerusalem is. Right. Why would it be a problem to identify Book of Mormon lands? One of the problems they have with this is that their scholars differ as to where they think the story happened. Traditionally, Mormons have said that the story happened over all of North and South America. As scholarship increased in Mormonism, they realized the story didn't really hold together over that large landmass. So now they talk about a limited geography in southern Mexico and Guatemala. That's why they don't want you to try to figure out where the story happened, because they aren't sure where it happened. Which again raises the question, are we dealing with real history? So no site, no city, no script, no buildings, no records. We have no artifact for the Book of Mormon peoples. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Not one. 
That was, that's a phenomenal point. Just listen to that. And then look at the artifacts we have for the Bible that we consider the Word of God. Listen to these facts. Okay. Another problem for Joseph Smith was um, in the 1840s, some men, non-Mormons, concocted uh, a plan to test Joseph Smith to see if he was really a con artist or a fraud. And they made a set of plates that they called the Kinderhook plates. These were made out of brass. And they were taken to Joseph Smith. One of the plates still exists and has been preserved. Uh, there has been physical testing done on the metal. And we know this is, in fact, a modern production. Supposedly, they dug it out of a hill. But we know it's rolled metal. And the stamped hole in the top is a modern stamp. The alloy of the metal is a modern composition. So it's just what the guy said it was. That they're fake. But this was taken to Joseph Smith. And this is what he said about him. This is in their own history of the church. I have translated a portion of them and find they contain the history of a person with whom they were found. He was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and that he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. Well, if these plates are frauds to trick Joseph, why would he say that he's translated a part of them and they're from a guy that's a descendant of Ham? So. Only a fraudulent prophet would translate fraudulent plates. So I see this as a real uh, dilemma for Joseph Smith's credibility. One of the other problems we faced as young people coming out of Mormonism was that Mormonism taught us that the Bible wasn't reliable. It had been changed so much you needed a living prophet to give you the straight scoop on everything and that it's more sure word coming direct from the prophet than stuff that's got to be retranslated in an old language and all those sorts of things. This is a sample of one of Joseph Smith's revelations in the um, first printing in 1833 and the changes that were made later in the same text. So that if you go to the Doctrine and Covenants, you would have to supply the handwritten words to the side. This is an example how Joseph Smith rewrote his revelations. Now, if God were the author of the Doctrine and Covenants, one would expect that they would have been written right in the first place. Yes. Why does he have to go back and change the whole meaning of the revelation if it truly came from God? So when the Mormons say to me, the Bible's not reliable, I put to them, the, the shoe's on the other foot. Yeah. It's your scriptures that have been amended and revised and meanings changed, uh, that when you look at the original documents, you'll see that it just doesn't hold together. All right. One of the other problems for the Mormonism is the book of Abraham. And this is one of their canonized uh, scriptures. <laughs> Get it straight. Uh, Joseph Smith bought some actual Egyptian papyri. And this is one of the illustrations that was on the papyri. Then he gave his translation uh, of the papyri. And yet uh, this has been given now to Egyptologists who've looked at it. And they say this has nothing to do with Abraham. This is a standard Egyptian funerary text. Uh, this is an embalming scene. You can look up any book on Egyptology and find similar types of scenes where Osiris is being embalmed. The four canopic jars uh, are the four sons of Horus, where when they embalmed a person, their uh, internal organs were placed in these jars underneath. It's a standard embalming scene, and yet Joseph has a totally different uh, explanation for it. Again, we're back to why should we believe Joseph Smith? Why would we trust him as opposed to the Bible when all of his scriptures have these kind of problems. Now, one of the other credibilities that I, uh, problems I have with Joseph Smith is on the issue of marriage. Joseph Smith, uh, early on, we, 
it's debated how early, started secretly teaching his inside circle about polygamy and evidently was practicing it as early as 1835. In 1835, the Mormons brought out an edition of his revelations called the Doctrine and Covenants, the first time I had that title. In it was a section on marriage, and this is uh, the section on marriage from the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, and in this section, he says, or this section says, inasmuch as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife, one woman, one husband, except in the case of death, when either is at liberty to marry again. The problem with this is that this section saying they don't believe polygamy was in the Doctrine and Covenants clear up until 1876. So through the whole period when the Mormons were most involved in practicing polygamy, they had a canonized section in their Doctrine and Covenants that said they didn't believe in practicing it. Well, this section was what people generally assumed that had joined Mormonism early on, that that was all lies. And yet, historical research, we now know that Joseph Smith had 33 plural wives besides his wife, Emma. Uh, the lists are on the internet. You just type in Joseph Smith's wives and you'll pull up a site that lists them all out. Of these 33 women, 10 are girls that were between the ages of 14 and 19. 11 are married with living husbands when they marry Joseph Smith. This is all done secretly, behind closed doors, away from Emma's knowledge, away from the church. Joseph Smith denied the practice all through his life. He never admitted to living polygamy. And yet the Mormon church themselves have had to admit that, yes, he had numerous plural wives. Uh, but why was he lying about it? It was the doctrine of God. At the end of Joseph's life in May of 44, a month before he died, he gave this sermon. What a thing it is for a man to be accused of committing adultery and having seven wives when I can only find one. I am the same man and as innocent as I was 14 years ago and I can prove them all perjurers. Yet he's got 33 plural wives sitting in the audience, I assume, the day he gives a sermon. I don't know how that made them feel. I would have been a little uh, <laughs> upset about that. You know, what, yeah. what? You don't have any other wives? What about me? Yeah. Um, another problem with Mormonism is their view of God. And this is a crucial one because this affects their whole understanding of uh, life, universe, and everything. Uh, in Joseph Smith's doctrine, God had a beginning. He, at one time, was a human on another world. That world was run by some other god. That god, at one time, was a human on some other world, run by some other god. And so they have this whole pantheon of gods. Now, Mormons will often say to me, well, I've never heard that in my church. Uh, they don't say that in Sunday school. Well, they may not, but Joseph Smith said that. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to accept Joseph Smith as God's prophet to start the only true church, then I have to look at Joseph Smith's sermons on the nature of God. So absolutely one place you can't be wrong. Scriptures tell us a prophet cannot lead you after a strange God. So either he was dead right on who God is or this is not a man to follow. So if a Mormon has a problem with plural gods, then they need to take it up with Joseph Smith, not with me. Here's this, one of his sermons. As the Father hath power in himself, so hath the Son power in himself to lay down his life and take it again. So he has a body of his own. The Son doeth what he hath seen the Father do. Then the Father hath some day laid down his life and taken it again. In other words, God the Father one time was a Savior on some world, just like Jesus came to our world. And this goes back for all eternity's past.
as well as the future. Amazing. Another sermon of his, they refer to it as a King Follett sermon because it's a sermon given at the funeral for a member of the church named King Follett. First time I read that, I thought there was some real king or something, you know, but it's the guy's name. Uh, in the sermon, he says, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. Further on, he says he's going to tell us how God came to be God. Further on in the same sermon, he was once a man like us, yea, God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did, and I will show it from the Bible. Well, I don't believe he did show it from the Bible. But the point is that is Joseph Smith's view of God. Totally contradicts the Bible, but it also contradicts the Book of Mormon. And this is one of the curious things in Mormonism. They use the Book of Mormon to get you into Mormonism, but it is not for their doctrine. It is the very fact the Book of Mormon exists. People say, oh, well, how could this young man have written this book? It must be true. I couldn't write a 500-page book. But they don't follow the doctrine of the Book of Mormon. When Gerald and I left Mormonism, we had studied the changes in the revelations. We'd seen the contradictions on polygamy. We'd seen the problems in the first vision. We'd looked at crazy things that Brigham Young had said. But we thought, okay, maybe the Book of Mormon's true. Maybe we could stick with that. Maybe we just need to throw the rest out. And the Book of Mormon might really be history. But the more we looked into the Book of Mormon, the more we realized it doesn't stand up either. But the Book of Mormon teaches a different set of doctrines than later Mormonism. So I don't, I don't understand how you have them all the same volume, and yet they uh, all contradict each other. Uh, but through our journey, uh, we were challenged that if we looked into the Book of Mormon, we'd find there was no historical base for the story. And if the Book of Mormon is not history, then it is just a novel that may have inspiring things about Jesus, but there's no reason to hold it on any higher par than any other book at the library that might be inspiring. I agree. So a Mormon will say, oh yeah, but I, I felt good when I read the Book of Mormon. It talked to me about Jesus. And I well, fine. I can show you dozens of books sure. that talk about Jesus. Yeah. But when you make it scripture, that's raising it to a different level. Right. And that demands an examination to see if it can meet the claims. Amen. Um, I think it's important to point out, Sandra and I talked before the show, the reason I left Mormonism was, and I've said this many times, is I could not reconcile myself as a sinner with God. And I was born again, and when I experienced rebirth, um, it led me see that the, the Jesus of the Bible was the Savior of grace, and he, he made me, he changed me. But Sandra's story is different as to why she left Mormonism. And just take a minute and tell the audience why you left. Were you, the, were you an egregious <laughs> sinner, Sandra? <laughs> Well, yes and no. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, I had been a faithful Mormon as a teenager, and I graduated from seminary, went to Institute of Religion, taught Sunday school, went to the dedication of the Los Angeles Temple, and uh, was happy being a Mormon. I was not looking for an excuse to get out. But my mother started having questions about Mormonism when I was a teenager. So she would bring up some of these kinds of problems to me, and I would just tell Mom, you know, oh, well, uh, you're just uh, uh, have too much of a questioning spirit, you know, uh, contentious, and uh, the, it's true if you just pray. And but I was secretly, uh, I shouldn't say secretly, but behind her back, I guess, going to the uh, different teachers asking questions. You know, what about these things my mom said? And I kept being put off. Well, you'll understand that later. When you go to the temple, you'll understand it more. You just need to pray more. Uh, God didn't intend us to know everything. You have to go walk by faith faith and everything gets you know you just put off all the time well then uh, as things worked out I met Gerald Gerald 
had already started his journey out of Mormonism, not because he was looking for an excuse to get out. Mm -hmm. He was trying to determine whether he wanted to go on a mission. And so he's reading the Book of Mormon. He's studying early Mormon documents. He's trying to figure out what the truth of everything is. Someone gave him a copy of David Whitmer's pamphlet. Whitmer, one of the witnesses to the Book of Mormon. Whitmer wrote a pamphlet where he told how Joseph had rewritten his revelations, like the ones I, I showed earlier. And Gerald thought, wow, if that's really true, I've got to know this. I don't want to go out being a missionary for something that isn't really true. So he made a trip to Independence, Missouri, visited all the breakoff groups, uh, compared their different claims, and he could see there were big problems with Mormonism. He finally concluded he was going to scrap all of Mormonism except the Book of Mormon and go back to just the Bible and Book of Mormon. So that's where he's at when I met him. And uh, Gerald started telling me all this stuff that my mom had been telling me. Uh, the advantage for Gerald is he was cute. And uh, <laughs> he was my age and mother's, when you're a teenager, your mother doesn't know anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Gerald's telling me, well, yeah, they have been changed. Uh, just look at the revelations. I went down to the bookstore and got a copy of the Mormon scriptures and a copy of the first printing. There was a reprint made of it. And I came home and asked my grandma to read the Book of Commandments, the 1833 printing of Joseph's Revelations against the current Doctrine and Covenants. And the changes in the revelations were so disturbing that I thought the creator of the universe isn't this haphazard. Right. Uh, it would be done right. You don't have to come along two years later and rewrite all the revelations if God said it. We're not talking about something that had to go through translation or anything. Right. So uh, this was very disillusioning. Then Gerald told me all kind of uh, historical problems, problems with Brigham Young and all sorts of things. But then he started telling me that the Book of Mormon taught one God, salvation by grace, heaven and hell, no temple work, no work for the dead, no pre-existence. And as I started looking at that and comparing it with the Bible, I realized that's what the Bible said too. Mm -hmm. So I kind of backed into believing the Bible through the Book of Mormon. When Geraldine and I decided we were going to leave Mormonism but just believe the Bible and Book of Mormon, uh, we were evangelical in our belief in Christ, but we still had this extra book of scripture, and that was visiting churches, uh, people thought you know, a little strange, you know. Mm -hmm. And so different people challenged us, well, okay, if you can see Joseph made up everything after 1830, how can you be sure he didn't make it up before 1830? <laughs> <laughs> huh, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so we were challenged to go back and look at the Book of Mormon again. Is it really history? Did it really happen? Is this something we can trust? At the same time, we were looking into things with the Bible. Mormons will often say, well, you, didn't, you know, if you spent the same time on the Bible, you wouldn't believe it either. Well, I don't believe that's the case. And so with the Book of Mormon, we found there aren't any maps, there aren't any artifacts, there's no written language, there's no people group. We got Israelites today living in Jerusalem that write Hebrew. Right. You know, uh, we don't have Nephites sitting around in Zarahemla <laughs> cranking out anthem transcript kind of script. Right. You know, I mean, there's just nothing there that matches. So finally, we came to the point where we had to set the Book of Mormon aside and just go with the Bible. Uh, along the way, we had started writing up our research for our family and friends who thought we were nuts. Mm. Uh, <laughs> People would say to me, you used to be such a nice Mormon girl. What oh, happened? You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I started reading. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, well, if you just pray about it, you know, I said, well, but prayer can only take you so far. I believe in the power of prayer, but but prayer doesn't run counter 
to every fact. No. Uh, and when we're looking at the Bible, no matter what you pray, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, uh, so when God's spoken on a topic, that's kind of like it, you know. Right. Okay, so then with the Book of Mormon, I can pray all I want, but if God didn't write it, God's not going to reveal to me something contrary to what's really true. Right. So how do we test this book? Every way I could think to test it, it came up short. Yeah. So I had to set aside. We've been printing and researching and writing on it ever since, so we've spent our whole life on this. Mormons will often say, why do you hate us? Why do you persecute us? This is my family. I'm fifth generation Mormon. My mother's maiden name was Young. All my, aunt, my, all my uncles on the Young side of the family look just like Brigham Young. Wow. <laughs> uh, this is still my family. Uh, I love them all dearly. Through the years, we've seen many of them come out of Mormonism and become Christians. But it, it was a real struggle because our families um, challenged us at, at every point mm -hmm. that, well, if you just pray about it, and we say, but, but the documents don't add up. Uh, it, it can't be what it claims to be. Well, uh, what a whirlwind tour <laughs> through a vast amount of information that we're going to try to fill in some of the details to support the things Sandra has taught today. And we're going to go to the phones now. We've got 20 minutes left. I want you to know I, I am so grateful for people who have uh, proceeded. I've mentioned this before. I mean, 47 years doing this, taking the heat, probably getting just innumerable threats and comments and personal invectives and all kinds of horrible things said about you and you're seeing firsthand she was a girl who wanted to know the truth she searched it out and she found it so praise god for this and let's go to the phone uh, let me remind you if you have a comment please uh, make it quick ask your question directly to sandra and let's just get right through it as many as we can we're going to greg first time caller from santa Ana, california greg you're on heart of the matter John McCraney. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I'm just calling. I have a question for you and uh, Mrs. Tanner. Okay. And, uh, well, first, before I get to the question, I just want to say, uh, despite uh, maybe some of the, the negative criticism I've, I've heard you share about people making fun of your appearance on television, yeah. I, have, <laughs> I happen to think you're, you look very handsome on television. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Um, I, the question, real quick, uh, I, w I was wondering maybe uh, you or Mrs. Tanner could explain it. Uh, what now, according okay, Christian doctrine will teach that uh, you know God has always existed, right? Uh, but according to Mormon theology, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, they teach that God was once a man, correct? Right. Or right. wrong? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so explain to me what what would be the Mormon understanding. Uh, in Mormonism about uh, how everything began, including God. <clears throat> Sandra's taking this one. <laughs> okay. uh, Mormon doctrine is that matter is eternal. And so matter is more eternal than it, it was there before God, before our God was a God. They believe everyone's personality, the center part of you, has eternally existed. That's why they believe that you can become a God and it could be said of you that you're an eternal God because the core unit of you has eternally existed. But our God, while his personality, the unit of him has eternally existed, he has not eternally existed as God. And so every God had an earth experience when he was immortal and progressed to Godhood, and there was a God before him that was over some other world. 
And so every god draws on this eternal supply of matter to form his world. Uh, there is law outside of God. God is God because it conforms to law. And so um, that's kind of the overview of the pantheon. Does that answer your question? Yes. So to make it clear then, uh, uh, Mormonism would base uh, the beginning of their thought on eternal laws. Right. Yeah. To where, let's say, the Christian Orthodox would be, um, you know, it all started with God. He right. existed. The comparison. Correct. Yeah, and you know what else, Greg, is one of the dangers of that, at least historically, is materialists almost always, uh, matter can't be created or destroyed, almost always leads back to the slippery slope of atheism. Because uh, if God never wasn't able, was never able to create matter, too, you pretty soon matter takes precedence over God himself, and pretty soon we become, you know, like Marx with dialectical materialism. I mean, so the real danger is, and, and I have always believed this, to a certain extent, and Mormons don't get mad at me for this, <laughs> to a certain extent there's kind of a, a godless tone in Mormonism because they are empowered. They're the ones who are in charge, and God really sometimes takes a second chair to what the theology creates in their head. So you have to be very careful with that material has always existed and God didn't create it. It's really troubling. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, all right, you guys did an awesome job in answering Thanks, Greg. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Joe McCormick. You know who he is. Right? Oh, yeah, Joe McCormick, awesome. He's probably listening. I hope so. <laughs> okay, Sean, I, uh, I'm blessed to have you um, as my brother in the Lord, and I'm blessed that God is using you in this show, and I just wanted to say that, and goodbye. Bless you, Greg. Thanks. All right, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Darren, first-time caller, uh, Boise, Idaho. Darren, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. Well, hi. Um, this is the first time I've uh, actually caught your show, but uh, one of the things, you, you may have covered this in a previous episode, though, again, the first time I've seen it, my biggest curiosity, being a Christian, was is, um, why does the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints if they don't worship Jesus Christ as the Savior, as our Savior, as our gateway to God? I'm going to let our guest answer that. This is easy. Well, they would claim that they worship Jesus Christ, but the problem is the definition of who Jesus is. Uh, I mean, even the Muslims will acknowledge Jesus as being a historical figure, and he's mentioned in the Koran, but the Jesus described there is very different than the Jesus we would see in the Bible. And so that, that's what I see in Mormonism. Yes, they use the term, they speak of Jesus Christ, uh, so do the Jehovah's Witness, but it's a very different concept than standard Christianity. Yeah, and you have a show coming up uh, on diluted grace, and it explains how, you know, just because you mention Jesus in your theology doesn't make you Christian. And Sandra said that, you know, yeah. giving you specific examples. But you'll get that airing in, in Boise in a couple weeks. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I believe that the, uh, the Muslims uh, just look at Jesus as a prophet or another yeah. one of the prophets. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's somewhat uh, a similar kind of uh, diminishing of Jesus in Mormonism in that, we are literally Jesus' brother and sister, the same nature, the same species. Yeah. The difference between us and Jesus is just one a matter of time and progression. Yeah. Every man in Mormonism has a potential someday to be a god over his own world. So their theology really diminishes the God and Jesus uh, to a, a very human level, even though now they have supposedly all power. It's kind of like 
uh, they believe that it, you know everyone that goes to the university can become an expert in math, and it's kind of like they believe everyone, if you went to university long enough, could become an expert and be a god. Right. Uh, but that's not what God is telling us in His Word. He's eternally been God. He's eternally known everything. He He is eternal in every aspect of His being. And yet in Mormonism, His personality is eternal, but not His Godhood. Amen. So, so anybody actually, if they tried hard enough or worked hard enough, could become a God of, in and of themselves? Yes, to run their own world. So that, the Mormons will say, well, we don't believe you ever become equal with God. And that's true. The Mormon concept is kind of like an eternal escalator. So if you think of an escalator moving up and God gets on at one point, Jesus gets on at another point, you get on at another point, everyone's moving up on this eternal escalator, you never catch up with God in Mormon theology, but someday you can be a God at the place where God is right now. Oh, so, so eventually when you get there, wherever God's at right now, eventually you could reach that, though God would still be higher. Right. He, yeah. It's like Amway. Uh, <laughs> The, the more kids you have, the more distributors underneath you, and but you're always answerable to the distributor above you. So it's kind oh. of a spiritual Amway. That's awesome. Uh, that is um, that is that uh, great analogy. <laughs> hey, thanks for your call. Thank you very much, and thank you for your show. Okay, God bless. Bye bye. Hey, why is this all important? By the way, we have a special announcement first time. If Sandra's willing, we're going to extend the show by a half an hour and go in so we can continue on with the calls. Um, it's a season opening special. So uh, if Sandra can hang in, we have water yeah. for her and she's answering the questions. We're going to extend it because we have so many calls. But why is all this important? Latter-day Saints, if you're watching, why is all this history important? Why focus on what happened in the past? What's go you know, The problem is is you don't know Jesus. You just don't. And as a Latter-day Saint and Sandra, 47 years ago, LDS, you walk out and you just don't know him because all this stuff replaces him. You got to know him through the word. And that's what her mission's about. That's what my mission's about. Bring Jesus to the forefront, the real biblical Jesus. And that's not going to happen until this stuff is all fleshed out and renounced and put behind and said, we're sorry all that happened. Let's go forward. So that's why we do this. Let's go forward. Sarah, first-time caller from Orem, Utah. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. You have to turn your TV off, Sarah, if it's on. Uh, if it's on, I have to turn it completely off. Well, just turn the sound all the way down. Yeah, it sounds down. Okay. All right, you're on. Oh, hi. Okay. Um, I just had a question for Sandra. Now, I know you've been out 47 years yeah. or something like that. And I wonder if uh, you have found that over the years that the kind of treatment you get from, from the LDS people has changed. Uh, has it gotten any better? Do they treat you any better? I mean, I've only been out eight years, and I still, a lot of times, I get treated like that I'm, you know, going straight to outer darkness and I have, a, you know, arrow on my head. So I'm wondering, <laughs> has that ever happened to you? Well, now with the internet, the uh, hate mail that I used to get through the mail comes through the internet, and uh, emails are sent anonymously uh, from all sorts of people uh, telling me off. So the medium has changed a little, but I still get told off by the Mormons. But um, I would say as far as in the bookstore, I don't have as many people coming in physically to tell me off. 
they, they send me an anonymous email <laughs> if they're going to tell me off. But usually by the time a Mormon comes into the store, they're at least congenial. And through the years with our families, we have had to work at building bridges uh, that if we're going to get together as family, we can't talk about all of this. Uh, and at Gerald's uh, memorial service in October, we had Mormon family there. And uh, they were all you know, sweet as the world. And uh, when Mormon family die, we go to their funerals and, and try to be as supportive as we can. So. You know, it's a learning process of how to uh, be on different sides but still approach each other in love. And we've, we have tried to do that. I, I, I mean, the Mormons think of me as the most hateful person in the world. Um, but I think my Mormon family would concede that, that I try to be a respectful person with them. Uh, and they're respectful back to me. Mm -hmm. They think I'm crazy, right. but, but, but they're respectful. So... Uh, <laughs> Sandra, mostly emails. <laughs> mostly emails. You know, uh, last week we had someone call and uh, and said, uh, uh, "Is Sean McCraney there?" And uh, I, I answered the phone. It was after the show, and I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Okay," and he hung up as if they were coming down. Have you had people come throw things at the place? Have you had threats? Uh, long we, time. Yes, we've had people phone, and we've had people come in the store that were very angry. Uh, we had one man come in one day that got so mad at me that uh, the people in the back of the store were afraid he was going to literally hit me. Wow. Um, but we, I was able to defuse the situation and, and calm him down. But, uh, yeah, we've had angry things that way. But I also believe that God has had a hand of protection on us. Hmm. Uh, we have not had, for instance, vandalism that I would say is Mormon. Mm -hmm directed. Right. I live in inner city and uh, I get gang stuff on the back of the building and have to call the city down to paint it off. Uh, but I don't attribute that to the Mormons. That's not them persecuting me. It's just gang stuff, you know. So No taggers writing Moroni lives <laughs> on the back of your... <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but yes, we've had the angry people come into the store, uh, but that hasn't been so much in recent oh. time. Great call. Thanks, Sarah. You're, yeah, thank you, and it's nice to talk to you, Sandra, and okay. I'm sorry about Gerald. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to David, first-time caller on line four. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. David? Yes. You have to turn your TV off if it's on. You're on live with Sandra Tanner. Okay, thank you. Um, Sandra, uh, Mrs. Tanner, one thing I'd like to do is kind of apologize for, I know there's a lot of... Uh, intolerance from Mormon people towards people of other religions or other faiths, and I apologize about that. Um, I am an active LDS person, um, and I find myself to be very tolerant of people of all religions. With that being said, the question, the question that I have is regarding the, all the documentation that is out there, yeah. Regarding the Mormon religion, mm -hmm. um, how I have done a lot of research on anti-Mormon literature. I've gone to the church office building, and I cannot seem to find the amount of literature that you have there. And I'm wondering uh, where all this comes from. 
Almost everything, well, <clears throat> almost everything that we quote from is at the University of Utah Library. Uh, almost all of it would be at the Brigham Young University Library. So I don't know what particular thing you've tried to look up, but uh, if we quote it, it's out there somewhere. And if there's a particular thing you can't find, call me at the bookstore and I'll see if I can help you locate it. But we do not use uh, that many obscure texts. That most everything we use is readily available at some university here in Utah. The universe, how, how have you established, since this is coming from a non, uh, from a state-funded college, I understand the origins of the University of Utah, but since this is coming from a state-funded institution, how have you established the credibility of this uh, information. Okay, first off, if you look at the criticism that's leveled at us, the Mormon scholars are not saying we make up all this stuff. They're saying we misuse it, that there's another way of explaining the problem than, than the explanation I gave. But they aren't saying that's not what the book says. So you, uh, you go to the BYU, find the same stuff. You can go on Mormon sites and find the same stuff. It's, uh, on, your, on your website, do you have some of the BYU scholars or uh, Mormon websites where this information can be obtained and names and so forth? Yes, if you, excuse me, if you go to the uh, website uh, on utlm.org, if you go to the bottom of the menu, when you first open our web page, it has a, a thing for links to other sites. And if you go and look at those links, there's a link to a BYU site that has the Journal of Discourses and the History of Church and all kinds of things like that. You can look up right on the Internet. All sorts of listings there for books and sources where you can just sit in your front room and read all these. And with that, we're going to keep it moving. We've got a lot of people. Thank you for your call. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Listen, uh, a couple things I want to say about the research that Sandra and Gerald have provided. Uh, impeccable. Just impeccable. And Sandra brings up such a great point that when she and, and her ministry brings this stuff out, the LDS people aren't saying it doesn't exist because they know they can't call her on her references. The references are right. So what they do is spin. They spin around it, and they give you all kinds of different angles to explain it. And if that angle doesn't work, they spin another one. Let's get to Jesus about the real one, and let's get the Mormon people coming to know him. And it's going to happen when they stop spinning and say, yes, we believe that. We don't believe it anymore. It's not doing anything for people's salvation. Let's renounce it. All right, we're going to John, first-time caller uh, from Taylorsville. John, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. Uh, quick uh, comment and then quick question. Uh, I think it made the call. I was born and raised in Santa Ana, California, and when I saw the last caller do that, I figured, hey, why not? Okay. Um, question, the verse in the Bible referring to Jesus only being able to do what he saw the Father do, and that's one of the things that Joseph Smith said uh, he could prove from the Bible, I thought. Um, can you quickly explain that for me? What he was really, what that verse is really referring to. You want to take that? Well, I'll take my uh, idea of it, and that is, I take the Bible as a whole, and so we know what the Bible says about there being one God and it being monotheistic, and we know what it says about Jesus' relationship 
uh, to the Father and all those things. And I believe that when he says that, I don't know the Greek, I'd have to look at that and we can check that out for next week. But I believe that when he says he only does what the Father, what he sees the Father do, he simply is under the Father's will. He came down here incarnate and he took upon himself a tabernacle of flesh and he followed the Father obediently. There's no, there's no uh, uh, problem with Christians believing that Jesus is responding to the Father's will. He did. And so he followed it perfectly, and he did what the Father showed him or wanted him to do in a pre-existence. We believe that Jesus had a pre-existent state. John 1.1 1, 1 teaches that. So there's no problem whatsoever with Jesus saying that, and it actually had been. The problem is, is when you apply that theology outside of the biblical context and say, therefore, you know, God must have been a man. And we take all kinds of extra biblical ideas and apply it to that sing singular thought. Sandra, anything to add? Uh, right. I mean, it, so I'm assuming then you're, you're, you feel that verse backs up the idea that God was once a human who had a father who once was human? No, 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 not at all. It's just I heard you guys uh, talk about it on the show and I was watching. Yeah. And um, to, I, me, to me, that has to do with God's moral character, that uh, Jesus does those things of, the, of his father, the same that he's seen his father do in, in the moral realm, that he is exact expression of God's will. Exact. Uh, that, that's, you're welcome. Thanks for calling. Hey, God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Angela, first-time caller from Salt Lake. Angela, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner from Utah Lighthouse Ministries. Hi, Sean. Uh, first, I just want to say I absolutely adore you. I found your show a couple weeks ago, and I have just been in, in love with your program. Um, just Thanks. real quick, I um, also left the Mormon Church because no one could answer my questions. People would always just tell me, oh, well, you need to pray about it. And the more difficult my questions got, the more upset people got about me. And so I left. I became attracted to evangelicals because they relished my hard questions. If they couldn't answer it, they'd get excited. And so the question I have for you, Ms. Tanner, is why do Mormons think that Elohim is God's name? I have never been able to get a straight answer from that. And I'll take your answer off the air. Thanks. Love you guys. Thanks, Angela. She asked you. <laughs> Uh, well, Elohim is a, given as the name of God in the Old Testament, so is the name Jehovah. The error that comes up in Mormonism is they want to separate the words Elohim and Jehovah into being two separate people. And so they make Elohim God the Father, Jehovah God the Son. But that doesn't work because in the Old Testament you have the two words Lord God used together. That, and when you see Lord God behind that is the Hebrew of uh, Jehovah and Elohim. So the problem is that they want to divide those two words into two different people instead of seeing they both relate to the same being. Yeah, and uh, just uh, an, an addendum to that, it's twistianity. That's just the, what we call it, twistianity. Almost every single thing, you have a twist on it within Mormonism. Just enough, and each one of those twists amounts to a complete separation from what the truth of the Bible teaches you. Sandra just gave you a good example of why Elohim is not the name of the Father uh, separated from Jehovah when they're used at the same time. They're just different names. Uh, by the way, Elo is, uh, Elohim is the plural, and Elo is the singular, and there's a whole thing with that with regard to the Hebrew, which I don't have the intellect to cover right now, but <laughs> maybe someday we can do it. All right, we're going to Heber in Taylorsville. Wow, that is a trick. Heber in Taylorsville, line three. Heber, you are on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. Yeah, that's funny, actually. I've, I've seen the twisty, Andy. I've actually seen the, 
the show before and just passed by because uh, anyway, with a name like mine, you know, I, I gave gave it up a long time ago. <laughs> but I was curious um, about because the papyrus thing that was my uh, that was a chink in my armor a long time ago, and that was essentially my excuse to finally give it up. You know, when I went, wait a minute, if he made this up, what else has been made up? Yeah. But uh, I was I was curious, um, um, Mrs. Tanner there. I was, uh, do you happen to be related, do you know if you're related to Annie Clark Tanner, the author who wrote the book called Mormon Mother? Oh, yes, Gerald's uh, related to that faction of the Tanner family. Okay, uh, yeah, so we're, we're related then, because, yeah, I, I read that, and that, um, the whole concept of celestial marriage, the way that it changed, originally it meant to be married to the prophet, which then, in, in that case there, though, it changed to where uh, it was to be, to, to be the third wife. She was the celestial wife. She was the third wife that would get the whole family into the, uh, into the celestial kingdom there. And, and uh, they still use the term celestial marriage at church now, but it, it changed throughout time there. I, I, I just was curious if you'd ever mentioned that previously. I, I only came in in the middle of this, so. Did you mention that? Well, section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants is the section that talks about uh, eternal marriage or celestial marriage. And it's in section 132 that you have polygamy mentioned. Polygamy originally was the same as eternal marriage. Uh, they were all bound in the same concept. Okay. Today, the Mormons try to separate out eternal marriage uh, from polygamy, but originally they were all part of the same package. And in actual fact, the Mormons believe they will live polygamy in the hereafter. That's why oh, Section yeah. 132 is still in the Doctrine and Covenants today, because they haven't rejected the doctrine. They just stopped the practice. But in uh, a case where today, where a Mormon man outlives his wife, and if they were married in the temple, after she dies, he can marry another woman in the temple. And according to the Mormons, they'll be polygamous in heaven. This mm -hmm. happened to my own grandfather. He outlived my grandma, married another woman in the temple, and my family all were counting on Grandpa adding Effie uh, and making a threesome. Uh, I don't know what my grandma would have thought of that, but... Um, By the way, that's the only there. reason I almost remained Mormon, <laughs> just to let you know. It's the only reason. Just kidding, just kidding. Well, yeah. actually, that, that has also changed um, as far as what, what they teach, because, yeah, when, when, when I was growing up, um, you know, I was, I, was, I, I was in the 80s and all that, and they were teaching how... Uh, it, it is a correct principle that will one day be brought back. Just don't worry about it now. It's not pertinent to your salvation. But um, <laughs> that thought-killing cliche. It's not but, pertinent to your salvation. I, I heard that many times. Yeah. And the thing is, though, I'll talk to the kids that are like you know ten years younger than me, and uh, they've never heard of that. They they said, oh no, polygamy is completely gone. It'll never come back. And a lot of your younger ones actually mm. believe that. Right. But we know that's not true, and we know that what they say and what the reality is is completely different. Thank you, Heber from Taylorsville, uh, for hey, calling mate. the show. Thanks. Thanks, man. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Dion, first-time caller on line four. Dion, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. Hi. Um, I just wanted to take a few minutes to explain to you how I got out of the Mormon church. And okay. I'm like Sandra. I loved the Mormon church growing up in it and um, had no problems with it. And uh, then all of a sudden my husband wasn't a Mormon, and we argued religion every day. And, um, you know, my people are as good as yours. 
And finally one day I was invited to a Bible study, and it was represented by every church in the city. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they've taught me that all these churches are fighting, and here we are all learning the same thing. It took me about a year, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is not what I have learned all of my life. I've got to go back into the church see what they're teaching. And I found that they were teaching um, the um, Genesis out of a book that uh, Joseph Smith revised. It wasn't from the Bible. It was from the Pearl of Great Price or whatever it is. Yeah. And as I began talking to people in the Mormon church, um, nobody knew anything. They said, oh, I don't know that. You'll have to go somebody else. Even returned missionaries didn't know. And uh, after about a year, I decided, you know, this is crazy. I'm just going to keep studying the Bible, and when it tells me to go through the temple, I will. It never did. And wow. the more you got to study the Bible, the more you realize that Mormonism, the, the closer you found to the lies. Now you're open to the lies. So was that a key? Was studying the Bible for you, opening so, the word? Yeah, my answer is what you're saying on this show is just going over these people's heads. Uh, you've got to get into the Word of God yourself and study it. You've got to be open-minded, get into the Word, and study it yourself. Amen. I would not trade my knowledge for God and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Bible than all of the good times I had in the Mormon Church. Great. I loved growing up here. I loved it. But aren't we after truth? Yes. Right. We're after truth. And if Mormonism is going to lead you straight to hell... Took me a year after I got out of Mormonism. Took me a year to find out I was a sinner and needed to be saved. Take some time. Praise God. Praise I'm God. A saved sinner. Thank you for your call. We really appreciate it. And uh, love you both. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye All bye. Right. Listen, uh, one thing that's different, and uh, there's been some difficulty with our ministry, is because. Uh, we say, I don't really care what you do with your religion if you want to stay Mormon. We say that, uh, just come to know Jesus through spiritual rebirth. I want you to know that there are a number of avenues, and I am not against any of them, on reaching people. Some of those avenues are reading the Bible. People will read it and come to know Jesus in their own room. Sometimes it takes years of study history like Sandra and Gerald have provided. Sometimes it takes uh, someone planting a seed in your heart of that information or of Jesus. The point is we have to just keep planting seeds. There's not a lockstep process. There's some fundamental rules that kind of will apply. But let's make sure Jesus is at the center or information, truth is at the center, and it reaches whoever is searching uh, out there. We Let me uh, share on that note that the first time I was challenged on my Mormonism was uh, growing up in Southern California at a regular uh, secular school and all. A little Christian girl came up to me in eighth grade, and uh, she says, Sandra, I understand you're a Mormon. And I said, yes. And she says, what do the Mormons believe about God? And so I'm trying to think, well, how do I explain this? And um, so I came up with a little phrase I'd always been taught, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. Now, that's a statement by Lorenzo Snow. Uh, Isn't that, that a couplet? A little couplet <laughs> that uh, we all grew up learning to explain our faith. And so that's what I said to her, wow. you know, wow, okay, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. I thought that was real, real cool. Okay, she looks at me horrified, and she says, Sandra, that's blasphemy, wow. and walked away. Okay, I'm standing there thinking, 
whoa, what was that all about, you know? She didn't give me any clue. It would have helped if she would have said, Sandra, go read Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, God used what she said. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wonderful when we try to share our Bible knowledge with our friends or try to witness to them. That's wonderful. We may not always know the answers. We may not know all the verses, but I believe as we faithfully try to share with them, God takes into their heart those things we've left with them. God used that girl's statement. It would have helped if she'd have given a scripture verse with it. Right. Uh, but that was a beginning. Yeah. So everyone is part of the process of bringing someone out of Mormonism. Yeah. One person shares a Bible verse. Someone else shares a contradiction in Mormonism. Someone else shares a life experience. Mm -hmm. Someone else takes them to the Bible study group. All of these things work together. Yeah. And so there, it's all part of the process. It, it isn't a matter of saying, do this, don't do that. Uh, they can all be used, and they can all be used simultaneously. Yeah, amen. Great man. I hope every, I hope all of our listeners who get, you know, you guys are out here on the forefront here, living in Utah. If you're a Christian and you're trying to witness to neighbors and family and friends, and that's a great bit of advice that we just heard from Sandra. That you know, we all are contributing <laughs> somewhere or another, and the Lord is using those things that we're contributing. We have a very unique name of a caller, first time from Provo, Lubamba. Lubamba is on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. Lubamba, go ahead. Lubamba, you can make me. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. You're on the air, brother. Okay. Um, I have a question for you. What do you think about Gordon B. Hinckley? What do I think about him? Yes. I think that Gordon B. Hinckley is, uh, has taken on a very big responsibility to lead a large uh, church. I think that he uh, stands for good morals. I think he likes people, bad men to become better and good men to become great. I think he uh, is, has, does a lot of things that are good socially. But I think Gordon B. Hinckley sells the LDS members very short when he doesn't uh, teach them the biblical Jesus, when he doesn't teach them that they're saved by grace, when he doesn't teach them that they're sinners that need to repent and be saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, I think that he does a great disservice in the name of being a community service leader and standing for morals uh, and not Jesus. And so that's my opinion of Gordon B. Hinckley. What do you think of him? Um... Well, I haven't met him yet, but I would like to meet him someday. <laughs> I like you, Limbaba. I like your name, first of all. Um, Thank you. Are you born again? Me? Yes. Um, no, the other Lumbamba here in the audience. Of course you. <laughs> You're laughing now. Yeah, uh, I am born again um, about six times. Six times born <laughs> What, what is that called? We could title that a, uh, what do you call that? Oh, I don't know. What's that? Anyway, go ahead. we got to hurry up. Sean, because I'm a politician. Uh-huh. Well, Lumbama, we got to cut it off. I love your name, and uh, I hope you One come last to know, question. You know, we got to be really quick. Go One ahead. One last question. What? Um, what do you, what do you? I, I, that's twice. Two shows in a row I got to do that. He was just taking too long. We're going to Ryan. First time caller in Salt Lake City. Ryan, you're on with Sandra Tanner. Hi. My Hi. question is, um, a little earlier, you were, you were mentioning how um, Joseph Smith had changed some of the uh, revelations. 
And I was wondering if you have a biblical reason for rejecting why that couldn't have been possible, for those to be revelations from God, why God could not have simply um, given, excuse me, given a revelation to Joseph Smith, speaking to Joseph's understanding, and then later um, expanding that to uh, reveal what God wanted to reveal to the world. Because the changes are done dishonestly. You have a revelation in 1833 printing that says the only gift and calling Joseph has is to bring out the Book of Mormon. And then to go two years later and revise that revelation to say that that's just the first gift, make God's look, look foolish. God surely would have known in 1833 that he had something more to do for Joseph than just bring out the Book of Mormon. So why does the revelation say that? If God gave his word on specific doctrinal issues, I mean, we're not talking about changing thes and ands. Uh, when I showed that example, you look at that. At what, if you go to the Doctrine and Covenants and read section 5 in your Doctrine and Covenants today, that was the one I was showing that had all the changes. When you read it as chapter 4 in the Book of Commandments, uh, the message in that revelation is different than the way it stands today. And yet it has the same date. It is given as though that were the way it was originally given. There's nothing in the footnotes that say, God gave him further light another day. It's all put back into the original as though that's the way God said it on the first day. Right. So, so what I'm saying is the Church translates the Scriptures in different languages all the time. So what I'm saying is that if God, when he first revealed it to Joseph Smith, if Joseph Smith understood it the way that it is currently written in section 5, then the rest of us may not understand it that way, and so we needed it to be written differently for our understanding. No, it has a different message. To, to say the only gift he has is to bring out the Book of Mormon, and then to change it to say that's just the first thing God had for him to do. David Whitmer brought this up as a very specific point of his objection to Joseph Smith, was the change of that particular revelation, because it was his understanding that was all Joseph was supposed to do. So it, it's, and it's dishonest to put it under the original date. Why didn't they have another section that said, three years later, God told me X, Y, Z? Uh, to put it back under the original date, in the original form, as though that way it was the way it was spoken at the first, is dishonest. It's deception. Do we translate into other languages? No, this is English. This what is I'm, all English. Those, we put those in the same date, so you'd have to say that that was dishonest, too, because the exact phraseology in the different languages cannot match English precisely. That's a real stretch to try to prove your point, don't you think? Have, no. you ever, have you ever actually looked at the changes between the Book of Commandments and the Doctrine and Covenants? No, I haven't yet. Then that would be my challenge, because <clears throat> when you see the extent of the changes, your argument will not cover the problem. And Sandra, where can he find that information? He can find it at any library in Utah, but he can get the books down at our bookstore. You can get them at BYU Bookstore. Uh, you can get a reprint of the Book of Commandments uh, just about anywhere and compare it with the Doctrine and Covenants, they don't read the same. And it's not minor stuff. Check it out. Okay, I guess we just agreed to disagree. Then. I love that saying. That's okay. another thought-killing cliche. <laughs> All right. All right, brother. We're going to take off, man. All right, we're going to Denny, first-time caller in Salt Lake. Denny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, just fine. Hey, um, uh, I want to talk to Sandra. Okay. God bless you, Sandra. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to put something out there. I wanted to push a book. Uh, years ago, uh, somebody put a book on my doorstep. It was called God's Word, oh, yes. Final, Infallible, and Forever. Right. 
and then it put you put me onto you. And I would just recommend that for anybody. It was great. Right, it's a very good book. It's still available. We have it down in the bookstore. It's very inexpensive. Little paperback. The first part of the book uh, talks about Christianity. The second part of the book talks about problems of Mormonism done in a very kind way. It's a book you could give to a friend. God's Word, Final, Infallible, and Forever. Seek it out. You Did can... you write it? No, I didn't. Who Floyd McKelvin, he was a Baptist pastor, Floyd. wrote it. Awesome. Yeah, it was... It's a very good book. All right. Loved it. No, I just wanted to share that with you. Right, great. Thank you so much. A great seed planted there. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Braden, first-time caller in Provo. Braden, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. I just got a quick question for both of you. I kind of missed the beginning of the show. Sandra danced and sang. <laughs> you missed it. It was all. amazing. It was historical. <laughs> so... The first part of the show, you guys are talking. I know Sandra. She said she left the church about forty-seven years ago. Yes. 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 How How old were you? Just curious. Not to age you or anything. Oh, well, how old am I? <laughs> Never now? ask a woman that, dude. What is wrong no. with you? I I am uh, ancient. <clears throat> okay. I'm I'm uh, sixty-six next week. Okay. Awesome. awesome. So yeah, I left. Uh, I got married when I was eighteen. Uh, left the church when I was nineteen. Gave up the Book of Mormon a couple of years after that. Okay. Was your husband also? Was he LDS? Is he a member of the Mormon? Oh yes. Church? Gerald and I are both from fifth generation Mormon families. He was, relates to the Tanner family. Uh, that goes back to Kirtland days. He was a distant relative of Nathan Tanner's, who was in the first presidency. And I'm a direct descendant of Brigham Young. So that was all our roots and all our family. Good credentials. <laughs> yeah, really so, uh, good. Just curious. I, I didn't hear why, but this is my first question. I'll try to keep it quick. I'm going to keep it quick. Um, what was the main reason you left the church? Was it just because you felt that the revelations they were deceiving? Or what was like the center of the matter that made you leave the church, the Mormon church? I, could, I did not find Joseph Smith to be a reliable person. If I've got to trust him to give me the Word of God, uh, and Mormonism places Joseph Smith ahead of the Bible. They determine what's right in the Bible by what Joseph Smith said. So I had to determine, can I accept Joseph Smith's word? I did not find him to be a reliable person. So I went back to the Bible. And have you been happy since? Absolutely. I've just been through the worst year of my life, taking care of my husband, Gerald, dying of Alzheimer's last October. Uh, I've been through all kinds of problems, and I found Christ sufficient for all of those things. And I wouldn't trade any of that for uh, Mormonism. Mormonism, uh, I had good friends there. I had a wonderful upbringing. I, I don't fault that at all. Uh, moral teachings, but it didn't lead me to Christ. And the focus was on church, not on Christ. Amen. And do you still believe that through Christ and, and through the, the teachings of the Mormon church, families can be forever, or how do you see that point? I didn't understand the question. Can be forever. You, oh, no, I don't believe that uh, uh, mom and dad and kids are going to be together as a family. I believe I'm going to be with my family. I'm going to be with Gerald. I'm going to be with my mom and my dad and my aunts and uncles. <clears throat> They're all going to be there, but it's not going to be living in a family unit. And in the Mormon concept, it doesn't work out. Uh, if, if Mormonism were true, my mom and dad were sealed in the temple. Okay, each of them were sealed to their parents in the temple. Each of those parents also were married in the temple. And so how do all these families get together? Because my mom and dad can't be with their parents once they got sealed. 
And my grandparents couldn't be with their parents once they got sealed in their ceilings. So it doesn't look to me like this system of having families together really works. Your kids grow up, they move away, and it's the same way it seemed to me like what the Mormons are talking about. They're going to be scattered all over heaven, starting their own worlds. So I don't understand how this families are for everything works anyways. Before your parents passed away, did you, just, did you still visit them? Oh, absolutely. My folks left Mormonism before they died. They did? Okay. Yes. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. Hey, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, I've always been kind of terrified of that idea that I'd be sealed to my father-in-law forever. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Just kidding, Perry. Uh, all right, uh, we are going to uh, Jeff, first-time caller on line three. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter with Sandra Tanner from Utah Lighthouse Ministries. Hello, how are you? Good. Doing well. Um, God bless you both. Um, I, am a, I am current LDS, and I had a friend from work call me and ask me to tune in to your show tonight, and I, uh, I'm kind of intrigued as to some of the comments that you both have made. Um, yeah, Sandra, I believe it is? Yes. I, uh, you know, you made some comments about uh, how you've been treated by um, Mormons, and I apologize if any ill will has come across, but you made a statement about um, uh, drawing a line and Mormons being on one side, and the, I guess your, your understanding was, or what you were trying to get across was, you guys being on the other side of the line and kind of like how we're butting heads. Well, that's what Joseph Smith said. What's that? That's what Joseph Smith said in his first vision. That's what I was reading from right at the start, uh, where, where he, it says in the Doctrine and Covenants that the Mormon Church is the only true and living church on the face of the earth. I mean, that's drawing a line right there, saying all the other churches are wrong in his... Uh, Joseph Smith's story at the back of the Pearl of Great Price, where he says that God told him to join none of the churches, for they are all corrupt. Uh, that's drawing a line. Joseph Smith drew the line. Okay, well, all I wanted to say was I believe in the, the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure that you both yeah. believe in the Ten Commandments. I don't think that we should go out and, and uh, commit theft and right. kill. and. But those things save. don't save you. That doesn't say. I also don't believe in taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. And I think so you got to get to the point, though. We got other. We got a lot of callers. What's the point? I, the point is, I think that uh, you know we both believe in the same thing. We no. choose uh, free agency to. Uh, no, it isn't the same. Free agency is to. It isn't the same because the Mormons say I cannot have eternal life unless I participate in the Mormon temple ritual. It, they are not saying that we have the same eternal life through our faith in Christ. Outside of Mormon membership, you Mormon temple ritual. Don't, don't you think that we would believe enough of the same to where there doesn't have to be so much hatred? Well, I don't think it's a matter of hatred. Why did the Mormons send out 50,000, 60,000 missionaries to get Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians to become Mormon? You guys don't leave the rest of us alone. Well, see, right there, you're saying you guys. Well, I, she has a point. I, I have, what have I done to offend you? No, but she has a point. She's speaking of Mormonism collectively. Don't take it as a personal a affront. She's speaking of Mormonism collectively. Right. And every one of her points have been valid. <laughs> and my, none of mine have been valid? They, they've just been inquisitive, but they seem to not be wanting to understand what she's saying. 
I understand what she's saying, and I just want her to know that I love her, and I love you. Well, I, uh, that's wonderful, and I, I have Mormon friends that uh, I love very dearly. I have Mormon family I love dearly. But there is a difference in the doctrinal beliefs. One side's right, one side's wrong. They can't both be right. Amen. Thank hey, you I for your call. We'll go next week. Thanks so much. We're going to Nathan, first-time caller. Nathan, you've been on the phone. Nathan, you've been on the phone a long time. You've only got a minute to pose your question. All right, thanks, Sean. Um, I'll tell you my story real quick. I don't really know Sanders or yours personally. I just saw the show a few weeks ago for the first time. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm a return missionary, all that kind of stuff. Um, but lately, life's just been getting pretty bad for me, you know, kind of depressed. And I feel like I've made some decisions that have, you know, forced the spirit out of my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I'm just kind of at a starting over place. And I was wondering, you know, I'd like to like you would say, getting the word and things like that, but the motivation's just gone, and uh, I really don't know what I should do. Or Start reading the book of John. Get in, get in your Bible, start reading the book of John, and you'll find Christ it will meet you there. And if you want help doing that, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. and Friday night at 8.30, I'm going through the book of John verse by verse. It will air this following Monday. You can get your Bible out, and, and we can do it together if you're, if you're not feeling motivated. I, I think that'll help. All right, Nathan. And also, you know, you can go to our website, www.bornagainmormon. Email me. We can have a dialogue. You can go to Sanders' website if you want to do more research. And uh, you're going to just get led to the Lord, and that's our purpose. Bottom mm -hmm. line, that is our purpose. Amen. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. All right, what a show. My goodness. Sandra Tanner's bringing him in. She is getting questions from all over the state. They want to know why and what and how, and you can get that information at www.utahlighthouseministries or utlm.org. Just research Sandra Tanner's name if you can't remember that. Anything where you write Mormon, you're going to find uh, her website because she is a foremost expert with her husband, Gerald. They always say that behind every great man is a great woman. Uh, Gerald was a great man who uh, gave some of the most scholarly approaches to Mormon history. And uh, we lost him this year. And uh, our heart goes out to Sandra, who is carrying on the torch. Our prayers are with you. Sandra, we have a minute left. Anything you want to share? I think it's important to understand the Mormon's concept of grace is very different than the Christian understanding. In the Mormon booklet, Gospel Principles, uh, in the uh, section on atonement, their apostle Packer gives an uh, illustration of grace where he says a man was deeply in debt and got a friend to pay off the debt for him, but then the man had to make the debt payment to the friend. A Christian would say the figure of Christ paid it all. So it's a very different concept of grace. Jesus paid it all. We are not making installment payments on our salvation. Amen. Amen. We thank you so much. Right. Thank you so much. It's been a great time. Very informative. We hope you'll tune in next week uh, when we begin church history and going through it. I'm going to go to Utah Lighthouse Ministries to get much of my information to help fortify my positions that so many of you say are not true. They're true. And we just pray that you will come to know the Lord. You'll turn your will and ways over to Him. You'll be born again and you'll come to find Him through His Word. So join us next week here on Heart of the Matter uh, at 8 p.m. to 9. Until then, God bless you and Amen. we'll see you.